All right, take out your Bibles. We're going to turn to the book of Mark. We're going to look at the book of Mark. Actually, today we are starting a new study in the book of Mark. We're going back to the Gospels. Um, excited about it. It's, it's one of the shorter of the Gospels. Um, there's several reasons why we love this book and love this, uh, this, this, this. I think this will be a great study for us. Uh, one of the things we wanted to do today is just, although we're coming to all together and, and some of you will worship in South Austin, some of you are worship, worshiping here, we're going to always study the same things. And um, we just want to commit time to God's word with zero agenda and just ask God to speak through it. So I just pray that that's your heart today as we begin this. I'm going to kind of intro it. I'm going to just do the first eight verses today, uh, which, um, yeah, first eight verses today, um, which I, I still think there's something very significant that we need to hear as we begin to prepare our hearts for w- where we're going with this. And so let me give you a little background, first of all, on the book of Mark. How many of you guys have ever just really studied the book of Mark? I mean, from, yeah, I mean, it's one of those deals. It's like, yeah, we studied Matthew and we studied John and Luke and, and all these, but for some reason, uh, the book of Mark many times gets uh, looked over. And um, a couple of things about the book of Mark. Mark is, when Scripture talks about John Mark, this is the Mark that it's, that it's talking about. And uh, it's important to note that John Mark was not one of the 12 disciples. It was actually believed that he was part of the 72 that later Jesus called out and sent out. So there were 72 that they were still considered uh, disciples. Um, some consider them apostles uh, that were sent out on mission to go do what Jesus told them to do. And in, and in, in the scripture, I believe it's in Luke, that it talks about this sending out. In one chapter, it talks about them going and talking and being with people and, and serving. And it was powerful. And they came back and they reported how awesome and surprising it was. That they just really had the power and the strength of God. So he was a part uh, of those. Um, it was believed that he was kind of the attendant, the, the right-hand man and a writer for Peter. Peter was one of the most famous disciples, right? He's the one that first realized who Jesus was. He's the one that we hear about all the time. And then I was thinking back how much sense that makes because um, that, that Peter is not reflected as writing one of the Gospels. And yet here is John Mark, who's technically his apprentice and his right-hand man who is writing these uh, words. It's believed that it's written around 55 AD, and it's also believed that it was the first gospel to be written, all right? And one of the reasons people deduce that is because all but 31 of the scriptures in uh, the book of Mark are reaccounted in other gospels. And so this is kind of a cornerstone uh, a book for us to be studying. It's kind of the starting point um, that <clears throat> as, as we look into these scriptures. And um, so we also know that John Mark became a close friend to Paul. He accompanied Paul at the beginning on the very first missionary journey um, with Barnabas, and he was related to Barnabas. He was Barnas, Barnabas's cousin. So all that to say is pretty connected. The dude ran with Peter, Paul, Barnabas. I mean, he's a pretty connected guy in the early church. Um, kind of the distinctive approach about the book of Mark that we need to know that I, I think is really significant. First of all, it was, it was really written for Gentile believers. It was written for new believers who were not Jewish. They hadn't grown up in this Jewish tradition. It were, they were like most of us, okay? And so it was Gentile believers, um, and very specifically to the Christians in Rome, because they were the in, that Rome was the influencing, you know, uh, they had most of the influence today, and so they were, he was speaking to them, um, 
And because of that, you won't see like the genealogies and you won't see some of the texts that just really make sense to the Jewish culture. You won't see it in this, in this book, okay? Um, and so it, it's, it, you also don't see as many Old Testament references. And it also skips the birth of Jesus and jumps right to his public ministry. The very beginning of it is the very beginning of his ministry. And the emphasis is more on what Jesus did, not just on what he said. So his focus, focus is on the doing, sharing what Jesus did, what he was about, and what his life really, really looked like. Two really key scriptures, one in Mark 10, it says, And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the second one is Mark 9, 35. says that sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and he said, If anyone wants to be first... He must be very, the, the very last and the servant of all. So here are these themes, these things Jesus is talking about that we have to nav- navigate constantly in our culture. Because our culture says, and we ra- were raised to say, no, we need to be first. We have to be so successful and we have to view our success in, in our lives, in our families, in our business, in our pursuits in such a way Um, That it begins to saturate the way we live faith and we start chasing after things that are not even necessarily the things of Christ. And so we're constantly at this tension of, well, is that what God wants me to do or is this? As we begin to try and serve people and, and, and to pour out ourselves for people and we don't see the kind of successes that we might think we want to see from that. And we go, well, is God really in that? Is there really power in that? Why is this wearing me out? And so it addresses the issues of that tension that we experience as we seek to live a life that is a different life because of Christ. So this is very relevant text, I think, to any Christian. But I believe the vision God has given us as a church, it's incredibly, incredibly significant for us. And I pray that you and I pray that I will be looking for what Austin talked about to find that place where the joy of the Lord is is our strength as we seek Honestly, to be less as we make him more. And this is our journey. This, this book is divided into two parts. The first is the service of a servant, of the servant. And the second is the sacrifice of the servant. So first, his life and his service pouring out to others. And then the second, he literally poured out his life for us. And how that looks in our own life. And here is what I love about the book of Mark. Here's what I love about the book of Mark. He had two major public failures reflected in scripture. Major, major failures. The first one is he was believed to be a convert of Jesus himself. He was following along. He was part of of the 70, but it was also 72, but it was also believed in that famous sermon when thousands of people began to follow Jesus. And then Jesus kind of turned around and and started preaching. Oh yeah. And if you're going to follow me, you have to uh, drink my blood and eat my flesh. And if you remember that story, he was talking about something deeper, a sacrifice. But if you remember that story, everyone left. Thousands of people just left. And Scripture says the only ones left were the 12. And he asked them, he says, why are you still here? And they kind of turned around and said, Rabbi, we have no other place to go. What are we going to do? It was believed that John Mark was one that left. He left. Oh, man, I can, can you identify with that? 
I mean, literally coming face to face with Jesus, hearing his teaching, and then he says something that just seems a little too out of the box for us or a little too much. And we're like, I'm not, I, I don't get that. And he left. Yet he was restored. What I love about it is he was restored by Peter later. The second failure he had was he was invited in on the first missionary journey with Paul. The first missionary journey with Paul, he went and then he quit it in the middle of it. He gave up. It's like running the marathon at the middle, just going, you know what, this, I can't do this. this is, I'm, I'm done with this. And it was over. And then he wanted to go on the second one, and Paul said, uh-uh, you're a quitter. You can't come with me. I mean, it, honestly, he, was, he had lost his, his spiritual leadership mojo at this point, and, and he was down and out. But later on, when Paul is writing Timothy in 2 Timothy, and Paul is, is older, and he, I think he knows his death is coming, but he's older and he's writing what we know as his swan song, kind of his last words. It's such a beautiful thing because it's never mentioned. He's talking to Timothy about what's going on and what he wants him to do. And then he, he goes to who he wants to be around him. And he says, guess, he says, only Luke is with me right now. In 2 Timothy 4.11, only Luke is with me. But just out of the blue, he says, you know what? He goes, pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me in service. And so it's this beautiful picture of this redemption, of this thing coming back, and that Paul was reinstating him. And and here's what I love about it. This is what I love about it as I think about who Mark was in this story, is that failure does not mean the end of usefulness. Your failures, my failures, thank God, do not mean the end of usefulness in his kingdom. In fact, Jesus made it a habit of using those who mess up, the unlikely, those who were, you know, humble before him. And so that's an encouragement to me. And then this guy got to pen one of the Gospels. He was so filled by the Holy Spirit that he was, a, he was used in that kind of way. So I hope you're encouraged and you're excited about that. So let's look at this as, as quickly as we can. Mark 1, just the very beginning of it. The beginning of the good news about the Messiah, it says. The Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. And then it quotes scripture from Isaiah. And he's reminding this, this isn't new. This is what God's been saying all along. It's going to happen. But he's saying, this is the beginning of the good news. Right now. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. Speaking of John the Baptist, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. And he'll be saying this. It says, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Verse 4. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. Interesting. Because he had introduced this idea or embraced this idea of baptizing people in a way that Jesus was going to. But it, it represented this uh, surrender in the covering of sin and the washing of sin. And it was a different baptism that Jesus was going to bring uh, to the table. But I, I can't help but think that the reason it was there, it was in a similar way that God gave us the law. That he gave us the law, not so we could get beat up, the Ten Commandments, and not so we could just have something to always feel bad about, but to expose our need for what was coming. Because we can't fulfill all the law. And so we needed Jesus to die for us. In a similar way, here is this baptism that he's doing. Specifically for the forgiveness of sin. And there was so much power on him. 
It says the whole Judean countryside and all of the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Something supernatural was going on. Here's a guy that ate bugs and wore leather clothes off an animal. And he somehow had some spiritual authority in this place. God was with him. He was doing something there. And everyone was going out. And it just reminds me that people are looking for something. If you're willing to go out and get baptized by a guy who's eating bugs and wearing skins, okay? They're searching and they're looking. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. It says, John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. And, the, and, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. It says, after me comes one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. There's this humility that just saturates who John the Baptist is. And we have so much to learn from that posture as we approach Christ. But I think this is what Mark held on to so much. I think he saw John the Baptist and he, he himself had seen all the experiences he'd gone through a failure and be reinstated by Peter who had been reinstated several times. Failure after failure after failure and more grace and more grace and more grace. And he just latches on to this humility that he has. This attitude that we're being taught. And he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. A couple of things I think we can pull out of here that's very important. One is that, that we can always be confident that how amazing this is. That he talked about this and then Jesus showed up and did it. There's a lot of power in that. That a lot of people are out there just trying to get people to come hear what they have to say. But this guy just went out and just had the power of God and people just saw it. All right? And that there was just this, this favor and this season. I think about this every now and then. I need to think about it more often. That we live in a season. This, he said, it was the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah. That we live in this season of favor. On this side of the new covenant. That it's not about all the religion and all the things we can do. But it's about this relationship. And then how we live in humility with who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. Such a beautiful story. But I think the thing that pulls, calls me out more than anything. Is one of the things I think is one of the most commonly neglected thing amongst us as modern day Christians. And that is this concept of preparing ourselves. Of getting ready. It says prepare your way. Prepare the way for the the Lord. And that word prepare just means to make ready. And I think what we struggle with way too much. Is we just let life happen to us as believers. And we just react all the time. And then we wonder why we're caught on our heels. And we don't know how to respond. Or we're processing things at the last moment. But I think this is a reminder That we need to be preparing. We need to be making ourselves ready for what is coming. Literally, it it comes from the word meaning ready. Ready because you are prepared. And it means standing by ready to meet the opportunity at hand. Do you realize? Do you think each day? Do you think about it? That there is an opportunity at hand? I I have to tell you. I have to force myself to remember that. There's constantly an opportunity at hand that we are called to. And we're being reminded here to be made ready. There's three ways scripture, throughout scripture, tells us to prepare ourselves. And I'm going to give these to you real quick. And and we'll, we'll move on. The first one, scripture reminds us that we need to prepare our minds. 
We need to take time to think. And we need to be th- take time to stop and think about what God is doing and what he might be doing around you and in you in a moment or in an experience or with an opportunity at hand. But we need to stop and think, God, what are you saying about this? What are you doing? I'm always drawn back to Romans 12. I think in Romans 12, verse 1 through 2, it gives us some incredible insight of, of what is going on. It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is scripture Paul wrote, wrote to Christians. They're already saved. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, he had just talked about how awesome God was, how not awesome we are, and how what he did in Christ. So in view of that, he says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper worship. He says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. And he, this is, then he tells us how we do it. And he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To make new your mind. And it says, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think we think we do this and we don't. We don't really commit and prepare our minds for what God is doing. And really consider and prayerfully go, God, what are you doing here? We're incredibly self-deceived at times. Anyone else? I'm incredibly self-unaware at times. Anyone else? Can you relate with that? Thank you. Um, all the wives are like, this guy is. Um, I remember when I became a dad for the first time, and we had this little infant in our house, and, and this child cried way too much. And really selfish baby. And wanted to eat all, like every few hours. And I remember laying in bed at night, in the middle of the night, hearing a baby cry. And I'm hearing this baby cry, and I'm like, maybe they'll stop crying. And, you know, he, he didn't. And I'm laying there thinking, I'm okay, I'm just lay here so crying. And I'm like, what is Jen doing? Why is she not, I know, I know she hears this kid crying. Why is she sitting here being selfish? Why will she not get up? I know it. And, he, and I'm sitting here and I begin to think how selfish she is that she needs to get up and take care of this. And, and I start getting angry and casting judgment. And, and isn't that ridiculous? When we are unaware of what's going on ourselves, it's amazing when we don't take the time to just stop and think about where we are and what's going on. Let me tell you what happens. What happens then is everyone else looks like they don't know what's going on. And it's just this thing that just happens spiritually and we just stop hearing God for some reason. And all we hear is our own wants and our needs, our own desires and what we think about things. And I think this is why we're called constantly to think about what's going on. To really step back and, and, and just soak in, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my family? God, why is this happening in my work? Why is this happening in these relationships? Why is this happening in my church? Why is this happening in my faith? What's going on here, God? What are you trying to teach me? And can I submit to this? And, and the scripture, Romans 12, is talking about this idea of making a decision now before you know all the details that you're just going to go, you know, I have to come to the place where I'm going to choose, God, I'm going to follow you and I'm going to think about the things of you and I'm going to follow that no matter what it is in advance. So that when the details come, instead of struggling with it and going, oh, I don't know if I want to follow God on this one, we've already committed to following God. Now we just have to think about it and decide, is this of God? And where do I need to deny myself? But Jesus talked about all the time, we have to deny ourselves daily and take up our cross, right? 
We have to think about what we must be denying. Our brains. I've told this story before, I think. I was on, um, I was on an airplane to uh, Ethiopia. First time I ever gone to Ethiopia. And I was going not to go work with uh, orphanages or anything like that. I was going as a part of a partnership to go um, work with Eden Reforestation Projects. One of our partners that they plant trees. That's what they do. They plant trees. Plant trees. I'm not really, I've never really been a green thumb. I've not really kind of gotten that, oh, holistic thing like that. And yet I was going to Ethiopia to plant trees. And I remember as we were approaching that trip, kind of thinking, I don't want to go. Because I was struggling with not really getting where it connected with the gospel. I was struggling with it. And I, I was trying to commit my mind to it. How does this relate to the God? How does this relate to anything really significant that we're supposed to be doing? But we're still going to go all the way to Ethiopia, go into the high, do all this stuff. And I had to confess. I took a moment and I just had to, I just had to confess. On the plane, I confessed, God, I don't want to go and I don't get it. Will you help me see how planting trees in Ethiopia connects to the gospel? And I was praying that. As soon as I said amen, I felt a tap on my shoulder. And there was a gentleman sitting behind me. He was sitting right here in the row behind me across the way. He was Ethiopian, spoke great English. And he said, why are you going to Ethiopia? And I looked at him and I said, we're going to plant trees. Usually I would kind of make something up that sounded cooler than that. But I said, we're going to plant trees. And he goes, oh. And his mother sitting right behind me. I believe she was in funeral garb. She was all dressed in black. She leaned over in Amharic and they had a conversation. And uh, she just started wailing, crying. And I was like, dude, what did you say? I said, well, my mother asked what you were doing. And I told her that you were going to plant trees. And I said, well, why is she crying then? And he said, because she said that she's been praying for 35 years that God would forgive them for stripping their land. And, she would, and that he would send people to come and plant trees. It was a little embarrassing that I got to be... And I remember turning to try and communicate with her a little bit. And she, just, she put her hand on us and just started praying. She wasn't listening to us at all. She just started praying for us. So beautiful. What happens is, is we have to come to the place where we get it in our brain. And we think about it. We ponder it. And we pursue Christ. And then somehow it has to get into our hearts. And it was that moment on the plane for me that God began to peel open my heart. So that when I went and I saw the children that were going to school because their parents were working to plant trees. And I saw the churches that were being planted in the hope that was brought to full communities because, there was ha- because they were no longer uh, environmental refugees having to leave their area because of deforestation. And you saw trees equaling jobs, equaling education, equaling churches, equaling renewal and restoration and all this stuff. And, and Jesus just said, that's the gospel. And it was in my heart. Forever. Prepare your mind. Prepare your heart. Heart's a big problem. In Mark 7, 6, it says, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears and have their eyes closed. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And they would turn and I would heal them. You're just not, your heart's not going to change doing nothing. 
Your heart's not going to change. You're not going to care. You're not going to understand. You're not going to see it unless we pursue. Prepare your heart. Make ready uh, your heart. We have to seek to understand for, for sake of time. The last one then is to make ready or to prepare your hands. Here's how I believe it happens. It goes from your mind to your heart to your hands. If all we do out is just do hand, you're going to get tired. It's going to hurt. It's not going to feel successful. It's going to be weird. All it, it's, it's not going to feel right. Hand, that's it. Unless you come back and connect it to the heart. And then that's going to be your strength. And even if it's in your heart, you could pour yourself out. And you're going to come to that place. And you're just not going to have anything left. And unless you connect it back to your mind and understanding the theology behind what's going on and that we're not fixing the world, but we're going out and living good news and, and, and we're giving of ourselves in the way that Christ gave of himself and served, then there's a mind, there's a heart, and there's a hand thing going on that is so beautiful. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. It's like we're speaking spiritually at risk of laying in bed, looking at everybody else going, why don't you get the baby? Don't deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and forgets what he looks like. See, that's ridiculous. But whoever looks intently into the law that gives freedom and continues into it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Usually we stop there and, and, and this next part of the scripture we teach another time, but this is in context. Right after it, it says, if you consider yourself religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on your tongue, you deceive yourself and your religion is worthless. And then verse 27, religion that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Head, heart, and hands. Here's what I want us to hear today. There's just a better way. There's a better way. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest in him. I don't know where you are in life today. Personally, professionally, relationships, all of these things. But what I believe is if you are following Christ, you will constantly be brought to a crossroads. Constantly having to deal with an issue that if we don't do the head, heart, hands thing, we will always choose the path of least resistance. And this is so beautiful because what Mark is writing and what John is teaching is that there's just a new beginning. And here's, here's, here's what I want just to do today. As we just continue our time and close today, we're going to worship a little bit and do communion. Give us a little grace on this. We started pretty late just with uh, everybody coming in and, and finding the place. But um, will you just join me in prayer? Will you join me in prayer that we our believers, and that we are a church that is constantly meditating on, thinking on, and asking God to reshape our hearts. That what we do and what we try to do in a community, whether it's here in Dove Springs or in South Austin or in 
Kyle or Pflugerville or wherever you are, that God is placing you on this journey and that you are constantly cycling through this encouragement of I'm doing, but I could gain strength knowing that in my heart it's what I need to be doing and I could gain strength in knowing in my mind that this is who Christ has called us to be. Would you bow your heads just for a moment and let's pray. But Father, as we look into the scripture, as we study once again the life of Christ, God, I just pray that you would help us focus on the action and not just lip service. God, we're going to struggle in all kinds of different ways every single time we go and we try and do or we try and stretch ourselves. But God, let us not neglect it. If anything, God, may we just confess to you now where we just fail to think about it. Will we fail to consider in our hearts what you might be doing? God, would you draw those things out? God, as we prepare to hear more about your journey in Christ, would you, God, please prepare our minds, prepare our hearts, prepare our hands to be the body of Christ that you want us to be? We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.